This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host, Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks Long Run and the Future for Investors, will be joining us to start the show, give us some market commentary, what's going on. Uh, we're also going to have Jim Bianco of Bianco Research, Kevin Flanagan, Head of Fixed Income Strategy for Wisdom Tree. Please note, Kevin and I are registered representatives for Side Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor at Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products. The views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree affiliates. Professor, wow, bear market. We've been having a really tough, uh, interesting few weeks in the markets. Um, it looked like we were going to get a very strong opening. We did get a strong opening today on some hopes of things coming together. Um, really a lot of policy actions. Curious to get all your take of what's been going on here. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, the biggest the biggest retreat from record highs to a bear market in U.S. history. Uh, and we're including 1929, actually, twice as fast as the crash of 29. Um, so it's, 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 it's certainly, it's certainly sobering. Um, by the way, you, we did get a big bounce at the open, uh, and a trace back. We're up, uh, right at this instant 396. Um, that's very common when you, you, you get it and then you, you kind of test the lows. Is, was last night, uh, actually, after the close, the lows, <laughs> um, it's, uh, no one knows that for sure, but let's, let's look at, at one factor. Um, stocks are trading at 15 times last year's earnings. Now, um, I, Yes, the earnings this year, but uh, yeah, they say, oh, yeah, but earnings this year are going to be down 20, 30%. Okay, yes. Uh, we don't know how much they're going to be down. They're definitely going to be down. But let's take a look at 2021. Let's say we only recover in 2021 to what we did last year, which is, you know, by the way, on earnings side, 25% below what is now the consensus, which is still too high. But let's assume, all right, so we just get back to last year by next year. So you're buying, think about 15 times earnings. Um, 15 times earnings is, is uh, the 150-year average of stock prices under much higher interest rates, under much less liquidity, um, under much less diversification. Um, than we have available today. So from a historical standpoint, it's, it's a strong buy. Does that mean that, you know, sentiment can't bring it lower? No. I mean, we know that in panics we've gotten down to 10 times earnings. Now, I don't think we're going down there because when we got down to 10 times earnings, we had a 14% uh, treasury rate, which was a pretty good alternative. There are no alternatives. Right. There's nothing yielding something that's safe that you can go to. But, you know, nonetheless, yeah, absolutely. You can always go lower. And those, in retrospect, have always become the buys of the century. Um, and yet everyone is fa- is fearful of stepping in, right? I mean, my God, the world's falling apart. You want me to go in right now? Of course. I mean, it's, it's human psychology. We are all wired that way. Um, so for most of us um, uh, who haven't been selling beforehand um and i include myself in that group i mean it's 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 getting you know steel nerves and saying i'm not going to step out right now you know when uh, you know i'm 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 selling at historically uh, really low 
ratios in a in a, in an environment that uh, you know is 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 so much more conducive to stocks. So again, forget about this year's earnings. I don't know how much they're going to go down, and frankly, I don't know if I should care. The question is, do I think that 2021 uh, is going to be somewhat back to normal? And I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. Um, it, it, in, in so many ways, it is better than the financial crisis. In the financial crisis, we did permanent harm to, I mean, uh, uh, to the financial, inst- the, 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 the finest financial institutions and banks. They didn't have lending capacity. Um, uh, now there's, there's definitely lending capacity. I know there's, there's risk premiums that are going up and all the rest, but the money is there, the liquidity is there, the Fed is providing it there. No one's talking about, oh, my God, is Bank of America going to survive? Is Citi going to survive? Citi went down to $1 a share. <laughs> I mean, one of the biggest banks in the world during the financial crisis because uh, basically people said it won't survive. Bank of America also took uh, incredible time. And these are the, the veritable. There is no fear of that now. The Fed is standing behind the credit. The government, I mean, Mnuchin came on this morning and said, we're, we're going to provide what's necessary. I mean, they fumbled. There's no question. It has not been a great response from our government, from our president. Um, and that's another issue. But nonetheless, they're coming they're coming to the plate now and realizing that. So we don't have the impairment of the major financial institutions. We don't have that incredible overbuilding of homes that were based on subprime mortgages, which over the next 12 to 18 months caused massive liquidations um, um, and people losing their homes and all that. Nothing's happening. Real estate prices, by the way, are (laughs) maintaining themselves very well, certainly in the personal markets. I mean, there's a little bit of a pause, but think about that. Think about the fact that homeowners lost everything. All new homeowners that had bought in the last year, year and a half, had their uh, all their down payments and more wiped out. This is not happening. So that is why, in my opinion, this is a different story. Yes, 50% of stock prices got wiped out during that financial crisis, and we're far from that now. But there's no reason we should be down there. I mean, in my opinion, there, you know, there's no reason we should be down where we are right now yeah. outside of the fear. Professor, let me bring in, if you have some time to stick with us, I want to bring in some of our other guests. We've got Jim Bianco, Bianco Research, Kevin Flanagan. I want to bring in Jim, because I know you've been tracking the coronavirus situation very closely. Some of the early people following it um, from the people I follow on on Twitter. Um, What's your worldview today, Jim? How are we tracking? How are you? uh, What's your your worldview of of what's going on right now? Uh, Worried. Uh, The coronavirus is tracking like it has in China, as it has in South Korea as it has in Italy. It is growing at an exponential rate in the United States, at least among the um, reported cases. It's doubling every three days. It has been for about three weeks or so. It's on track to become tens of thousands in the next couple of weeks as well, too. And most epidemiologists and virologists that I follow have given me no reason to think otherwise. There's really nothing that we're doing that at least at this point is going to arrest the growth. <clears throat> and and when you think about, so now the markets have been pricing in a lot. We're taking a lot of actions. How do you, what do you see about where the markets are trading at the point today? It's been a historic in terms of the, num- the speed of the decline. We went from an all-time high to a 20% correction, which is the definition of a bear market, in 16 days. The old record was 42 days in 1929. So we've done something that we've never done before. I think what the markets are pricing in is the possibility that there is going to be a deep, painful economic slowdown for one simple reason, to slow the virus's growth. What is critical is is that this would be referred to as flattening the curve. We need to make sure that the virus growth does not overwhelm the hospital system. So that means social distancing, closing of large group gatherings, that means businesses, that means schools, that means severe economic disruption so that we don't wind up in the situation that Italy is in right now where they're literally triaging people in the 
lobbies deciding who lives and who dies because they don't have enough resources for the amount of people that are sick. So that's what I think the markets are fearing. I hope that that doesn't come to that, and I hope that um, the markets are being a little bit overbroad on that, but there's plenty of examples in other countries in the last month where that has exactly been the problem. Well, what do you, what's your assessment of what's going on in China? Uh, the China market, it looks like they have stopped their growth of the virus. They're down to a handful of, of numbers, but the question we have to ask about China is at what cost? Uh, all indications are they paid a terrible price between economic shutdown, psychological damage, emotional damage, in order to get this virus under control. They are now dealing with people that are reluctant to restart. They've been trying to restart their businesses now for three weeks. They're saying it will take another month to get going again. They've got, they've got social unrest that is equal to or not greater than Tiananmen Square. So they're going to come back, but they may not come all the way back. And that's the fear that I think all these countries have. Yeah, well, we're be, but then does it turn into an L? An L meaning that we rebound, but we don't rebound all the way back to the pre-virus levels, that there's some kind of lasting damage that we have on the backside of it. Well, I, I, in the Chinese, uh, on the Chinese side, uh, yes, they fumbled badly uh, at the beginning, and then they had to do emergency measures. Um, throwing in Wuhan, it was a total shutdown. Shanghai and, I mean, people were out and around, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't see that they're near social collapse or, or, or anything like that. I mean, there was anger at how they fumbled at the beginning, but now it looks like they did the right thing. And then actually their, you know, their stock market is, uh, down just negligibly. How do you explain yeah, that? Um, you're right. I mean, I wasn't suggesting that there was social collapse, but what I am suggesting is that there's social unrest. I don't think it's any more than I don't that, think it's any more than before. I mean, you you compared it with Tiananmen. I think that's totally wrong. We, now we have a somebody from China on the on the line as well, Li Chenren. Um, Li Chen, jump in here for a second just to give your view what's going on in China and, and sort of what what Jim and, and Professor Sigur are saying. Um, I think in China, uh, indeed, you know, the early stage and the second stage response is very different. And the second stage, uh, there are a control. Um, the social unrest situation, I'm not um, 100% sure what uh, Jane was talking, but I think right now the, the, the risk is really the other, that um, in China, now there's people getting back to work, particularly the service sector. And how is China going to monitor the numbers outside of Wuhan? If you look at, you know, the number of cases really low. Actually, it is a little bit for 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 people who who be I've been checking this virus um, numbers. I feel a little bit worried that those numbers are a little bit too low. In a sense, it could be that it's spreading, but you know they are not you know catching as much uh, if if they're not te- not testing uh, widely. So I I I think China is um, in some way is you know the first stage is is good, but the worry of this virus. There's no sign saying that this uh, virus will not be coming back in the fall. A lot of uh, experts are saying that actually the fall could be even worse than the spring. And for China, that is really um, a dilemma right now because you have put such a high expectation for the people that the government is going to be able to control it. Yet, <coughs> without, you know, uh, how, how are they going to c- control it? This, not people not working extensively is, is not going to work. I think that's the highest risk for China right now. And the second thing is I want to comment quickly. Um, the number of confirmed cases, this number is not necessarily the best number to look. For example, if you look at the U.S., um, there's five states that have uh, uh, closed schools statewide, like Ohio. Ohio only have five confirmed cases. Yet I feel, you know, I don't have any private data, but, you know, the Ohio governor is shutting down the, the whole state that is some kind of indication that, you know, the confirmed number is not giving a, a, a good uh, signal of how serious the, the, the local situation is. The Ohio governor yesterday in her press conference announcing that they were shutting down the state said that the medical experts believe there's 100,000 cases in the state of Ohio alone. That is what the governor said yesterday. 
Yeah, I think uh, the, the 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 real the real situation of this virus is the hospitalization rate. Uh, right now, I don't know if you guys have any idea of you know big data in terms of just estimate you know how many people are in the hospital in this virus. This is actually the best indicator. Uh, whether you know the medical run situation, it's not the confirmed cases, um, uh, others. But right now, for that, um, it, it's very hard to get a to get a read. In in China, of course, we saw at the very beginning when it was out of control in Wuhan. You know, they had to set up temporary hospitals and all that, um, and. And, of course, those hospitals have emptied out. Now, we could talk about the return of the virus potential in, in the fall. Uh, in Shanghai and Beijing, uh, they took, you know, very strong measures, not as strong as Wuhan, if, I, if I'm correct there, but strong enough measures that they have been able to handle yes. all, all the cases. That, it is absolutely think, true in South yes. Korea that they've been able to handle all the cases they've been able to handle all the cases in and now it is not so in italy but with those extreme measures they've been able to handle all those cases yeah i agree with professor this i i believe that this can be handled social distancing i think that you know you can mimic what china has done mimic what uh, south korea has done to you know flatten the curve so i think for now um if u.s uh take you know some measures which has been you know happening um you know a lot of people are working from home so enough social distancing could uh and actually, from 1918, you can, um, I mean, Philadelphia. Philadelphia has the highest death rate in the 1918 case, and St. Louis has the lowest uh, um, death rate. And the difference between these two states is the dramatic uh, 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 measures that uh, St. Louis took in the 1918 uh, Spanish flu uh, situation. Philadelphia took new measures because they held a, uh, a uh, World War I victory bond a rally of tens of thousands of people right at the peak as, as it was just beginning to peak. So, you know, that was like an unbelievably terrible decision. And then within three days, everyone got, you know, basically overwhelmed um, on that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. But I'm saying these uh, also, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy, you were talking about the terrible I – mean, um, this is a shock, I understand, and and all this. But I mean, you know, you're you're acting like the the, the, the repression in China and all the rest has been such that it's been a trauma. That I mean, if you want to know, uh, Li Chang, I want you to this compared to what traumas China has gone through over the last hundred years. This is minor. Um, um, I mean, I, I think it, a, lot of, yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of the measures uh, we're going through. What they've gone through, I mean, the trouble is Americans just don't go through this. Um, but, you know, in, t- in terms of, you know, what China has gone through, oh, yeah, hey, I remember when it wasn't enough food and, we, you know, and, and a million and a half people starved to death um, or, 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 or 10 million starved to death or, you know, or there was 100 million in war. I mean, we could go on and on and on. I think in the history of China, this is, uh, I wouldn't call it a drop in the bucket, but... We could we could come back to this to- this exact topic in a second. I want to bring in Kevin Flanagan for one t- topic, just to bring it back to the markets in in one sense, because um, we've had sort of huge unprecedented action from in a lot of ways. You're, you're now starting to see, um, you know, I think one of the things that was big time this week was was what the Fed was starting to do, and and for sure the Fed can't fix the virus, but you know there was a lot of worries about what was happening in the in the bond market. Kevin, I know you've been commenting. I want to get Jim's comments on this too. Uh, what what do you, what's your sense of what the Fed did? What they're what they're doing here and, and, and what, what it's trying to, to solve for? Well, first thing, you know, thanks, Jar. Before, you know, getting into the bond market, I thought it was interesting as I was listening to you guys. Um, headline just came across on Bloomberg that the Brazilian president tested negative for the coronavirus. So I don't know if you've seen yeah. almost everything you've been checking today. That's been like the major headline, seeing the president shaking his hand and saying that they had coronavirus. Well, apparently the latest news, the testing is he doesn't. So that just gets back to the point of where we are in this cycle. And I I agree with the professor 110 percent in terms of 
just the panic mode and the 24-7 media, it's difficult out there. But, you know, getting, getting back to, to the bond market, you know, I, you know, Jared and I, you've been talking about this and I've been writing about it, blogging about it. It is to me, I just go back to the, the financial crisis and looking what was happening in the markets back then to where we are now. And I was always a big proponent. If the Fed wants to cut rates, God bless them. Let them cut rates. But, you know, I was always focusing on they need to be there for the funding markets. That is the proverbial where the rubber meets the road. That's where you need to be proactive because unlike this episode versus the financial crisis, you were seeing the funding markets dislocate first in that environment, and that created the snowball and the avalanche. This kind of beak almost was like, you know, putting the, the horse before, I mean, the cart before the horse. And what I wanted to see the Fed do is what they did do yesterday to make sure that they let the markets know, provide the ample liquidity. You're seeing even some liquidity issues in the Treasury market to start turning the spigot back on for quantitative ease. <clears throat> to include the entire maturity spectrum, not just T-bills as we go forward. And there's a very good chance next week at the meeting they, you know, they add to that. I wouldn't be surprised if they increase the numbers and add that they're going to start buying mortgage backs again to try to help some of the situation there. And remember, the alphabet soup, you know, for all of us who lived through the financial crisis, the Fed had an alphabet soup facility arrangement out there that they could certainly go back to that playbook, which was very effective at that time, where they can provide liquidity, not just necessarily to the banks, where, you know, they talked about commercial paper facilities back then, uh, primary dealer credit facilities, TALF at the time, and they also expanded what was accepted as collateral. That's an important distinction, because being able to accept something other than treasuries or agencies as collateral certainly you know, broadens the universe, broadens the pool that you can uh, essentially help out in this environment. And one other thing <clears throat> I think is important, because I've been seeing this on the Twitter sphere a lot as well, that the Fed, in terms of quantitative ease right now, unless they change, unless Congress changes the Federal Reserve Act, the Fed can't buy munis, they can't buy corporates, they can't buy ETFs with respect to quantitative ease. They're stuck with treasuries and agencies like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae, and things along those lines. So I think that's important for your listeners as well to try to dispel some of the information that's out there and, and get to the crux, the root of the matter, and for the Fed to be proactive here and make yeah. sure the funding markets aren't the next kind of domino to fall, I think is essential. Well, I think what's real, remember, and I, I uh, the LIBOR disconnected from the Fed funds rate uh, by 400 basis points at the peak of the Lehman crisis. And, and the loans were based on the LIBOR. And that started going up at the time the Fed said, but I'm loaning the funds rate. Yeah, it didn't matter because no one wanted to lend to the banks because they were going to go under. I mean, there is no disconnect now. There is no disconnect. I mean, you know, first of all, we're transitioning from LIBOR to SOFR, I'm looking at the SOFR rate, it's 120. The Fed funds rate's 110. <laughs> uh, and, you know, back then, what we saw was the Fed funds rate was, it was 110, and the LIBOR was 450 and going up. And the loans were based on that. And, I mean, that, that was, you know, just to show you the, the total world of difference now in the market. So I completely agree with the Fed is just flooding, maturing, now they have SOFR, they're you know, making sure that all that collateralized money is coming. That's what those facilities are. Um, you know, they talk about pumping it in. It's not really being pumped in. It's being made available. We're going to make money available to make sure that all those repos on all those treasuries are right where they should be. There's no going to be no widening of spreads. And now that everyone's transitioning from LIBOR to SOFR, we're making sure that the loans remain known. And that's one reason why I still believe it's going to help some. If we, you know, we, we, we take it from 110 down to 60, another 50 basis points next week, um, you know, it'll just lower that rate a little bit more. I mean, I know it's just every little bit helps. I'm not saying this is going to solve it. I think that there's a lot of other things that need to be done. But nonetheless... The, the, it is just a total world of difference now, um, and 
you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the Fed having a handle, making sure the rates are low, uh, and making sure that there's, uh, there's liquidity. You know, there was a scare when Boeing took down their, their credit line, are others, will the banks have enough money to, you know, if, they all, if everyone wants to go to cash, we know there's the, the Fed is the only provider of that cash. So the Fed has to say we're going to, you know, you, if banks have committed loans and all of a sudden and, and the, the firm want to take it down as cash, we'll, we'll definitely be there to provide it as cash. And, I mean, that's also, uh, you know, a very, very comfortable uh, thing. But, it, again, we, we need to look at the fiscal side, too. Um, every... One from the vi you know, I'm not interested in saving the shale industry. I think that needs to contract. Um, you know, I think the crude industry and the travel industry, you know, are going to get through it with a big hit on earnings. I don't want them to stop operations. I mean, obviously, but uh, I mean, in, permanently. I mean, temporarily, obviously, the cruise lines are, but permanently. But you want to make sure the small business. I mean, look at the restaurants and, and all those that serve the entertainment industry, which is, you know, going to be you know, so hit, and that, oh, my God, I, you know, I've worked my life, I've built up this small business, and I need the loans to go through. We have to make sure that, the, you know, the SBA, the government provides those loans, and then we also have to make sure the people who are let off and let go because of that, you know, have enough resources. I mean, this is the fiscal side, um, you know, to go forward uh, on, on, on this. Let me bring Jim in. Jim, what's your what, what, when you saw the what's going on in the bond market yesterday? What was your reaction? How do you think uh, what the, the Fed did? What's your what's your comments there? <clears throat> I think we're missing one big important thing about what the Fed did. The Fed promised 1.5 trillion dollars of liquidity through repos. Number that's really hard for us to understand. They basically um, offered today. $1 trillion of repo, which is more than all of QE1 in one day. But what we're missing is Wall Street took $42 billion of the $1 trillion. They took none of it, basically. Right. And the reason Wall Street took none of it, from my contacts in the street, is in the post-crisis era, we've got a multitude of regulators from the BIS to Basel III to the Fed to the FDIC to the OCC. We've got a multitude of rules that we've put on the banks in the post-crisis era, they can't take it. They I want think that's it. totally wrong. They, they, I have uh, to disagree with you 100%. I'm 100% right on this, Dr. Siegel. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. They didn't take it because they didn't need indication. it. No, the Fed didn't did need not it. do this correctly. They want it. The street didn't take it. Now, the uh, Fed is buying Treasury securities in a big way, as Kevin mentioned, and that's good, and that will help. But this repo operation is not having the effect that they want. It is. It's keeping the repo rate right in line. I'm looking at the repo rate. So the repo we're, we're, rate right now is 29 basis points is what the Fed is offering, and the street is trading at 1.1%. It should be no. trading at 29 basis points. No. There's a trillion no. dollars of money available at 29 basis points. should not be trading up near 1.1%. The, the SOFR overnight rate is trading at 120. The Fed funds rate it should is be 110. trading at 29 basis points. Uh, now, if, if, if the Fed was doing they, what, they, just what they want. They're interested in the overnight SOFR, and they've kept that exactly in line, and, it is, and, 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 and the rates are low. I mean, we had a 400 basis point blowout during the financial but, but in line with what? One-month T-bills are trading at 28 basis points. Three-month tables are trading at 25 basis points. Yeah. Everything is trading down 80 basis points below those numbers I know. that you quoted. That's where the market is. Well, well, Sulfur should be down there, too. The Fed's facility was designed to bring the market down there, but no one took it. The heads of the dealer desks are telling me too many rules on them. That's part of the reason why we had the repo crisis in the first place is that they've been overruled over too many too many regulations in the post crisis. Well, era. they they it's solved it, you know, back in October, I saw the SOFR rate. I'm looking at the uh, you know, the the overnight SOFR rate. And I saw that blowout from Fed funds and then they came in in October and they reduced and then they started their facility and since that period of time, they have kept SOFR at that Fed funds rate. Yeah, I'm just saying what true. I said, the rate that I am ago. looking at. Um, you know, I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I you know. They offered $1 trillion today, and $42 billion was taken. I think that's And everybody is telling me they wanted more, but they can't take it. Well, the market is not trading properly right now. 
it is it has been it has been very dysfunctional every measure of liquidity is is showing that there is there is a high degree of stress in the market you're right it is not october of 2008 but that's not to dismiss the idea that this market is under stress and the reason the fed stepped up with a trillion dollars is their recognition of this stress and no one took it so, yeah. So, what, Jim, what, what's your thought? That why, what would they have to do to get them to be able to take more of it to get it to trade? Have a meeting with all the regulators and start changing the rules to allow them to take it. They've got, they're so constrained by rules away from the Federal Reserve on what they can do and not do, they're not allowed to take the money as much as they would like to. Kevin, do you, do you have a view on, on these, yeah, these I just I just wanted to hop in. The one thing I think you do have to remember, too, you can't necessarily compare T-bill rates and SOFR. I mean, SOFR, yeah. is, to the professor's point, is going to be locked in. You're going to have sort of that benchmarking to what the current Fed funds target is, which is one to one and a quarter. Now, normally, bills would kind of trade off of that reference rate as well. But given where you are in the environment, the flight to quality, the safe haven, uh, the pricing in of an additional 50 to 75 in rate cuts, I think, is, is one reason why you're looking at a three-month bill at 25 basis points. So I think there are some differences. The one thing that, you know, Jim, I'd like to ask you a question is, you know, some of these rules, uh, maybe I'm not as steeped into what some of these rules or regulations are. What's the reasoning? Why would they put rules in effect in a, in a sense that they wouldn't be allowed to take down what the Federal Reserve is providing? It, it doesn't seem to make sense. They've put capital rules and capital constraints on the banks in the post-crisis era because they saw correctly that in 2008 one of the problems was in the repo market one of the problems was in the LIBOR market that the banks had overdone it mainly Lehman Brothers so they've been constricting them in the ability of them to expand their balance sheets and the ability of them to leverage themselves up what the Fed is doing is they're offering money that would allow them to expand their balance sheets or leverage themselves up but we've got multitudes of rules to prevent that from happening because that was what was at the heart of 2008. These are not Fed rules. The Fed could change their rule in one second. These are other regulator rules that big international and global banks have to be subject to, which is constricting them from taking the funds that the Fed has made available to them. Now, we've got everybody fired up here on the show. I, I, I love when we have some uh, Professor Siegel going I, back and forth. Yeah, I, 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 I'm looking at the March 90-day LIBOR 92. I mean, what, what spread is that over, if you want to do treasuries, uh, you know, that's yeah, maybe 60 basis points over treasuries. Um, I'm looking at the historical spreads here to see whether um, that is more than usual. We're talking with Jim Bianco, Bianco Research, Kevin Flanagan, the head of fixed income strategy at Wisdom Tree, Professor Siegel, Lee Chen Ren. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. You're listening to Behind the Markets and Sirius XM 132. Uh, we're just having a very fiery discussion on what Fed actions we're taking, how much of sort of these, these big stimulus or, or sort of repo operations that the Fed is trying to provide to calm down the markets, uh, what's been going on there. The Fed hasn't been the only game in town. And, and Jim, I want to start with you on, you know, the ECB, the Bank of Japan also came out with some big things. The the ECB, in a way, is using a dual dual tiered rate system. You know, is providing in some ways subsidies to banks, and there were some pros and cons about what this means for the banks in Europe. Any commentary about the other measures beyond the Fed that we've seen around the world here? Yeah, it's been um, basically throwing the kitchen sink at it. The ECB gave a, a bunch of announcements yesterday with more lending, which is known as Teltro an expansion of their QE by $120 billion. You mentioned the dual-rate system. The Bank of England came in the day before and was very, very active and very aggressive as well. And even last night, the Bank of Japan did a, a sizable amount of repo operations as well, too. All in, the major central banks, headed by the Fed, are providing tremendous amounts of liquidity to try and get what has been somewhat dysfunctional markets especially away from, away from the equity market, dysfunctional, not, you know, um, shut down, to try to get them a little bit more functional. It's had limited success to date right now, but it's only been two days. Uh, so it's early days. Yeah, let, uh, listen, I finally have the dead. This is your, Professor Siegel. So I'm looking at what's called the TED spread, which is the euro dollars over bills 
for the 90-day period. Okay. Uh, it got down to an extremely low, down to a six basis points. Yes, it has jumped to 40, but this is interesting. Over the last four years, the, a- the average spread, and this is during the bull market, good times, the average was 35 basis points. Over the last four years, the TED spread was the average on was 35 basis points were right now at 41. Yes, it has jumped up. It was lower. It had been going down, and it is lower. Yeah, I would like to see it at 20 uh, and all the rest. But this is from looking at – I'm looking at the data. This is not a crazy spread that, oh, my God, am I, they're, they're not able to take it down. And, yes, I do think we should lower the restrictions, but this is a spread that is not at all even unusual doing bull market times because I'm taking the average from every single day from 2016 all the way to the present. 35 basis what's, points. What's the, high, what's the high in the spread? The, the highest high was, spread was is today. 60, uh, the high in the, the I don't, I'm high saying right, you know, the current spread right now Let's is... Let's check back in a week. Let's check I, back I know in a week. it was down at an all-time low at 567. It, by the way, it started January. We were all at all-time highs. It was at 37, and then it steadily went down to around, I don't know all the reasons. I don't follow this on a daily basis, down to 15. And then, you're right, in the last three days, it has jumped from 15 to 41. Um, yes. Okay, so yes. Would the but Fed it, want it, to get it, it back down? Okay. Um, but but it, it shouldn't it, even it, be, it shouldn't that even is be about right zero. about the average of the spread over the last four years. But we have to understand what the Federal Reserve is, is offering. The three-month LIBOR rate is at 77 basis points. A bank can borrow from another bank at 77 basis points. The Fed is sitting there with a trillion dollars saying, I'll give it to you at 29 basis points. There should be no LIBOR market right now. They should be getting it all from the Fed at 29 basis points because there's a trillion dollars of that money sitting there at 40-plus basis points lower but yet the banks are not doing it. They're preferring to pay higher interest rates. They're preferring to take unsecured loans rather than a loan from the Fed. No, they don't prefer that. It's what they can do. It's because they can't take that Fed money. Let me, let me, yeah, but, but, let me just, you know, there was this Fed facility that started last October, and October, November, December, you, you should say there should be zero spread. Well, there was a spread of 40 basis points back then. How do you explain that? Because the facility back in October and November was just 10, 20, 30 but basis points. There were many times when that wasn't taken down. It wasn't trillions of dollars. This is now okay, you're running, so they the say you're running in the capital you, rules when it gets into the trillions of dollars. Okay, so now they the say it's, right it's unlimited and there's still some resistance on that, but it's not a blown out spread. I mean, it's a normal spread. Now, I mean, you're saying maybe now with a trillion, we should get back down to zero or whatever. Now, I don't know the details of the market, know that it's never been zero or whatever, even in, in unstressful times. And even if you go all the way back, there's always been a euro-dollar spread. This euro-dollar spread that we see today, for given what's happened in the equity markets, is not at all uh, it's not at all unusual, and in fact, for given what's happened in the equity markets, it's an extremely low spread. Um, now, you, know, you want to try to get it down to zero, whatever else, fine. I mean, and and and, and all the rest. I'm just telling you what history is. Hey, I, I understand okay. what you're saying. Let, let's look at Kevin getting get in here for a second. We have a disagreement. I still, the, 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 maybe it would be nice if it got down lower. It's still extremely low. Jerry, I just wanted to hop in. You know, maybe it's my, you know, simple upbringing from the Jersey Shore, but I'm kind of like scratching my head here. And and I'm wondering if there are, quote unquote, you know, balance sheet constraints or rules or regulations or, or something along that line, the Fed would be fully cognizant of that. And if they're fully cognizant that if they're going to provide one and a half trillion dollar in repo, but only $42 billion can be taken down. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, why would the Fed come with a bazooka like that? Is it just to, to make a splash? I think it's to say we're on, they know how much is now depending on that repo market, given the disturbances in October, and they just want to say, you know, uh, this is how much is here. Um, you know, I mean, they could loan directly <laughs> to the bank, so they don't, you know, if they're not borrowing on LIBOR, uh, you know, hey, 
they can make it available at the discount rate and, 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 and do that. But I'm just saying the, the spread right now looks very normal to me. What about I mean, the... It has gone up. I, I agree. It has shot up from an unbelievably low position. On, and that it's not something I daily monitor. I'm not in the money markets every day. I'm just telling you what history is. Why don't we step back from the spreads here to the actual nominal yields that we're getting on the bonds? Because you got to sort of really, really low levels. And this week, you know, with the turbulence, you saw, you know, Professor, we've been talking about the negative beta asset of stocks and bonds. And, you know, the 10-year is creeping higher. Um, And for for a day, they both went down together with gold going down. Rare. Rare. Well, you know, a beta is a beta. It's a statistical property. It was almost like 100% of the time the stock market went up. the, 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 the Treasury went down, the, the stock market went down, the Treasury went up. It was like you had an unbelievable correlation. Now there's been a little bit of disconnect on the correlation. There's some, since some questions about what has caused the disconnect on the cor- uh, correlation. There's been talks about some illiquidity in the TIPS market particularly, which is not as liquid as the Treasury market. I think there's also going on some uh, some little bit, uh, I'm not going to call it concern, but taking into account of a big fiscal action. I mean, if the government is going to come in with a, you know, a $500 billion fiscal package, they're going to have to float $500 billion of bonds. And is that not going to pressure prices and, and, and drive yields up? Of course. Uh, I think there's a little bit of, I think that's going to people, oh my God, uh, you know, our deficit now is, you know, a trillion, a trillion two. You know, now this year it could be two. It could be two and a half. And that puts a little bit of pressure on it. And I think that the talk of a fiscal policy, of a, t- a fiscal package, is one of the things that has caused a little bit of a disconnect on there. But one has to realize that, you know, in any beta, I mean, the, the beta was so close, it was almost like you could clock it one for one. And that was unbelievable, too. So, yes, it's a neg- still a negative beta. There's been a little disconnect recently. Um, you know, I, I still think it's viewed, you know, broadly as a, as a, as the hedge asset. I mean, it's, it's performed beautifully, let's say, over the last month. So, I mean, you've, if you, if you thought of that as a hedge asset, you're, you know, the fact is you had a little flutter in the last couple of days. You've done extraordinarily well. It's, it's performed perfectly as the hedge asset. And, the reason why everyone kept on buying it was it was they had to so, you know, why do I buy VIX? I'll buy the Treasuries. I get a positive yield. I get a negative yield with the VIX. I'd rather go to the Treasuries. And, Jim, where, what do you think about what's happening in the credit markets? Are you, what, where do, where's your view on rates going? Are they heading back higher? Do you, do, do you think the sort of where, – where, where what do you think about the bond market now? Well, as far as um, the credit markets go, <clears throat> they've been, you know, under stress now for – a good week and a half issuance has been essentially zero <clears throat> as we've been going through this um, problem that we've been having within the market. Uh, a lot of that's been driven by the energy sector. Those bonds, you know, are they've lost as much as half their value just this week alone, and it's been causing a lot of problems as well, too. Uh, so credit is is a big problem, and I think it's one of the things that motivated the Fed to step in, because the availability of credit was not yet a problem, but the warning signs were clearly there that they needed to step in and try and do something. As far as rates go, um, the last two days have seen the biggest divergence between stock and bond prices in the last 32 years just like with the biggest fall in 32 years in stock prices yesterday. So those that have been playing strategies that involve doing stocks versus bonds, if you had been using the old strategies, Dr. Siegel's right, that worked great until Tuesday. You gave all those pro- you gave two or three months' worth of profits back just in the last 48 hours <clears throat> because of the way that that market has just yawned in the other direction. So... There's a little bit of a problem there. Dr. Siegel is probably right that there is some fear that there might be crushing uh, issuance coming in the Treasury market to pay for some kind of a stimulus package. That could definitely be part of the issue, as we like to say. It may be trading more, a little bit more like a credit than, than, a, than like a rate. So there's still some issues there. I'm wondering whether or not we've seen the low yield early Monday at 33 basis points in the tenure. can't believe I'm saying that the tenure actually got the 33 basis points. Three what times higher almost. It's, almost. it's almost back to 1% right now. 
Kevin, will you 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 oversee a lot of the the research from our side on uh, what what we talk to clients about and what to do fixed income strategy. How what are you talking to about uh, where to go along the curve and, and how to manage where, the rate cycle now? You know, I, I think it's important to to position and think about you know when the dust settles. It's so easy to get caught up in the moment at the present time. But you know, looking at some of the comments the professor and Jim made, just seeing you know just where valuations are. So if you just look at high-yield spreads as of yesterday, they were about 725 basis points. That's still about 100 below, by the way, where they were in February of 2016, the last time we had kind of that big risk-off type of trade when, when energy plunged into the $20 per barrel range. Concerns at that time as well as to, to China growth, and the Fed had just started raising rates for the first time in December of 2015. Investments grade spreads are a little bit over 200 basis points, almost at the level. They were about 215 in February of 2016. So you're getting to the levels now where I think you have begun to price in some, uh, you know, obvious, obvious, you know, I don't know if you want to call it technical recession or perhaps recessionary conditions, even if they're transitory here for the U.S. economy. They could go a little bit further, sure. I mean, they could they could overshoot. Uh, you know, you could see. I think high yield spreads, you know, maybe going to eight, eight fifty, maybe even nine hundred in this environment. But you know, increased downgrades, increased defaults, these type of situations or potential developments are now working their way through the pricing mechanism. And I think that's important. You know, I, I, I was never a fan of being a, a, a bond market timer, um, and I'm still not a fan. But I do think when we look back six months from now, if we look at some of these levels you're going to say, wow, those were probably good entry points. And I think from the rate standpoint as well, you know, um, I, I do think this is going to retrace back to some of the levels, at least that where we were on February 21st, before things really began to crater. And at that time, you were about 150 on the 10-year. You're about 93 basis points right now. You were 135 on the 2-year. That won't retrace, obviously, because if the Fed cuts rates down to zero, which seems to be what everybody's expecting or calling for, you won't get that same kind of a response. So looking at perhaps, you know, yield curve steepener scenario going forward and, and trying to mitigate risk from that strategy, I think will be important. I wouldn't be surprised at all that, you know, if we get some kind of an announcement, which it seems like Mnuchin and Pelosi are, are moving in that direction, uh, that, you know, you wouldn't continue to see, I think, intermediate and especially longer duration move a bit higher here in yield. And you could then begin to get maybe some compression in credit spreads, because I agree, I think the professor said this before, this is not just a monetary policy response. You need the two of them together. You need a fiscal policy response here. And if I can, I can ask the professor a question that I've been wanting to ask in this um, discussion we've been having and what you're reading, you know, and it could be depends upon what news channel uh, you're getting the spin from. But, you know, it seems like what's being proposed right now, what's being talked about or reported on any bill between Pelosi and Mnuchin would not include a payroll tax cut. Maybe that changes. And I'd love to hear, you know, Professor, your thoughts on a payroll tax cut. How effective do you think that would be? Well, you know, I, and, and we talk pay, payroll tax. I mean, one could think about, you know, is is that just Social Security and Medicare, or does it actually include all withholding? Maybe, I mean, that's a way to give a tax cut, a, you know, three-month succession of withholding um, to give that cash. But, of course, we have to remember, that only helps for the people who are getting the paychecks. Um, and most of the big paychecks, you know, if, if, if they're, they're going to be okay on cash flow. I worry about all the small people that, you know, that aren't, are not going to get the paychecks. I mean, obviously you can say I'm not going to, uh, we'll suspend for three months or six months any estimated pay or give you some, you know, gratis on them. I and that's what's really, when you call really fiscal injections, that's what that is. It puts directly money into the pockets of the consumers, and we want it directed at those people who are going to be most hurt by by this. And you're, I don't know what you know. We're going to maybe get an announcement on what that is. 
Um, maybe that's a second layer. Um, we have to take care of all, you know, make sure that the businesses are functioning, that there may be uh, unemployment compensation. You get let off because of this. Let us double what you normally get because, you know, you may not be working, whatever the rules are. There may be several levels that can come in. So you might be right. The first stage might not include that. It's an option. It's always a good to have some options in your pocket. Uh, by the way, let me just mention to you something that is, is of interest. Italy, as we know, is in extreme shutdown. Italy had been in trouble before this virus. Um, the Italian tenure is at 177 right now. Um, now, it was down below one before the crisis, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm, it definitely the yield has come up. But um, uh, all of us remember uh, not many years ago when the Italian bond was uh, at uh, 10, 12, 14 percent. Um, I mean, we could go on Greece, too. I mean, where sovereign debt was priced as super junk. I mean, this just shows you how much better we are. I mean, Italy is in that basically extreme clampdown with a yield of 177. It means, you know, either we're going to get through it or we know the ECB is going to come in. I mean, this did not happen before. Um, so, I mean, there, the, the situation on the credit front, um, although certainly a little str- strained, is certainly uh, just uh, orders of magnitude better than what we saw in '09. Jim, I think you know another. Good let me. We have we have sort of last thirty forty seconds. I want to give Jim last uh, last right. thought here. Jim, any closing thoughts of uh, what people should focus on as we go into the weekend here? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think that what they need to focus on is some kind of a stability in, in credit markets and some kind of stability in funding markets right now. Again, they're not shut down. They're not 2008, but they're definitely under stress, right? And that stress has got to be alleviated. You'll know it because gold will start trading the way that you would be trading going up, not collapsing like it is right now. And you would know it because you would start to see bond prices start behaving a little bit more like they have prior to a couple of days ago. That, to me, is really where the the problems are. And again, I'll just emphasize, there's a reason the Fed announced a trillion dollars yesterday. They saw the same problems as well, too. I appreciate everybody giving us the full hour here. You guys have been great, uh, great panelists, great conversation. Professor Siegel, thanks for your time. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research, Kevin Flanagan, Head of Fixed Income Strategy, Lee Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha Wisdom Tree. Thanks to our producers here, our sound engineers. You can listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast every week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about Wisdom Tree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.